So, I'm going to jump right into the Word this morning, and uh, we're going to... We're going to be digging in. This is a teaching moment, and this is some meaty stuff, and we're going to have a bunch of scriptures we're going to be looking in, because if we can't root what we do and what we say in scripture, then I think we need to really ask ourselves why we're we doing what we're doing. Isn't that true? I think that's true for everything we do in life. And so I want to start off with reading out of Colossians chapter 1. Uh, these guys don't have it at the back there. Um, they will have the rest of the scriptures. This is just something that God stirred in me. If you want to get it up, it's Colossians 1 verse 15. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. I want to start with laying this foundation before we go any further this morning. It says this, as a starting point, the supremacy of Christ. Colossians 1, 15. He is the divine portrait. I want to encourage you to just camp on this. If you're looking for something to camp in this week, to just spend some time unpacking the Word, why don't you take this and put it on the forefront? Just unpack it and let the Word of God wash over you. Because this is our foundation. He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God, and the firstborn heir of all creation. For in Him was created the universe of all things, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth, all that is seen and all that is unseen. I, I just want these words to really sink deep this morning. This is... The supremacy of Jesus, what we're reading. To the best of our English language and our little minds, trying to conceive of the magnificence and the supremacy of who he is, this is the kind of the best we can do in trying to achieve that. Every seat of power. Okay, let's, let's see this in the context of our world, in the context of our church. Every seat of power, every realm of government, every principality, and authority, it all exists through him and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds its completion in him. He is the head of his body, which is the church. Let's remember that. He is the head. He is the ultimate leader of this. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection, he is the most exalted one holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have all his fullness dwelling in Christ, and by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to its original intent and restored to innocence again. I want that to be the foundation of where we're going this morning. Everything in the Bible is about honoring God and honoring His ways. Everything in the Bible points towards Jesus. I want to lay some biblical foundations of things, and I want to say this as well. You know, there's moments when we focus on certain things in the life of the church, and, uh, and if you have an evangelist gifting, part of you is saying, we've got to be out there on the streets Seeing the people saved. And if you have a, a teaching gifting, you're saying, we've got to teach the Word of God. If you have a pastoral gifting, you're saying, just stop this. We need to go and be together and love each other and pray for each other. You get the heart of what I'm saying. But it takes all of these to work together. And I've, I've heard it said, and I, I think this is so important. It's more important what you get saved into than what you get saved out of. And so we have a responsibility, church, to, to establish a sound biblical foundation of what it is to be the church together. Because 
the heart of the evangelist who goes out and gets someone saved brings them into the life of something. <laughs> and that something better be a healthy representation of God's kingdom. And that's his expression as the local church. And when the evangelist is out there reaching for the next person again, every one of us is all of these, by the way. This is not someone else's job. <laughs> but some of us have a, a stronger passion or a gifting towards certain things. But, but that's when we need that pastoral gifting that says, you know what? You've come in and there's a lot that we need to work with you and help you in to find healing, to find restoration. You see how it all works together, the importance of that? Throughout the Old Testament, God was, was about creating opportunity for people to trust Him, to walk with Him, and giving them the choice and honoring their freedom of will to follow His ways and to honor Him. And it was extremely difficult. And then right from the beginning of time, this plan that He had all along of Jesus was enacted when we see the New Testament coming into play. And then we see that right from the beginning of time, this gift of Jesus, we've just been singing the way, the truth, the life. He is my way, my truth, my life. I arrived in Toronto at four o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon, and Ivor and I sat in an Uber drive for two hours. I discovered afterwards it was a 20-minute journey on the great 401 of Toronto. And I had this captive audience of this young uh, Hindu guy that had been in Canada for all of a year driving us, and for two hours I had this captive audience, and his job was to drive me and listen to me. <laughs> we had such a beautiful time in that car together, and, and he, he started off declaring that, that he wasn't actually Hindu, he was an atheist. And by the end of it, he was standing with his arms wide open and tears down his cheeks, and we were praying for him in the car park of minus 12 and I just said, oh, Jesus, please come quickly because I want to go inside right now. <laughs> and I, you know what? That's the beauty of the way, the truth, and the life. It's who he is. It's real. It's for today. The 20-minute ride back to the airport was with saved friends, so that was easy. John 3, verse 16 through 17 in the New Living Translation. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone... It is exclusive what we believe, the way, the truth, and the life. But it is fully inclusive. Everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through Him. And then he established the church, the most amazing expression of him on earth today. And I want to challenge and encourage us this morning. If we've had past experiences and hurts and we're a little grumpy with the church, let's understand who and what the church actually is. The church is his body. The church is the love of his life. The church is his bride. And just because we've had experiences of the church that are messed up because of people, and wherever we go, there we are. Coming to a true revelation of Jesus' love for the church has to change us. Ephesians 3 verse 10 said that his intent was that now through the church, 
not through any other thing on the face of this planet, but through the church, that His manifold wisdom, that word is a complex word, meaning multifaceted, multicolored, multidimensional. The manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. The entire universe will know about the magnificence and the manifold wisdom of God because it's going to be revealed through. Okay, I want you to do something because I try and do this every time I read it constantly. Whenever you read the word church, put your name in its place. Because the church is not some building, whether it's pretty or whether it's ugly. The church is you and me. So it's his manifold wisdom that through JT, that through Sean, that through Margaret, through Ted, the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. That, that kind of changes things a little bit, doesn't it? The church is described as the bride of Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.2, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ. That's the way God sees the church. And we need to make sure we're adjusting our thinking and our attitudes towards the church in the same way. That's how God sees the church. Ephesians 5.25-30, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved JT, Jackie, Io. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. Just as they feed and care for their body, just as Jesus does the the church. Who? You and me, for we are members of his body. Jesus is the head of the church. We just read that, the supremacy of Christ in Colossians 1. One of the most remarkable things about the church, it's not a building. It's you and me. Did I say that the church is you and me? It's not a building? Just make sure we've heard that. It's so important we get that revelation. Isaiah 61 verse 3, because this is what God has intention of with the church, you and me. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. That's God's intent, that through you and me, the church, He would display His splendor throughout the earth. If I were God... which we're all very pleased I'm not. But if if it was me, I wouldn't choose you and me to be the ones that he would display his splendor through. Surely there's a better way than that. Does he know me? I mean, like, he sees me in the mirror. Because what I see, I don't, you know what? God, really? But I, I need to start seeing me, and I need to start seeing you through the eyes that he sees you and me. That says, through you, I'm going to display my splendor in the earth today. So whatever you are passionate about, whatever you gifted, whatever you called in, let it be through that that God displays his splendor through you. And use the gifts that he's been giving you. 
Gifts of words of knowledge, gifts of prophecy, gifts of encouragement, gifts of service. Whatever it might be, use those to bring splendor to him. And in the midst of all of this, Jesus has this design and he has a pattern for the church. And, and the, the truth of it is, in, in the outworking of church and its togetherness, we don't have a unilateral choice of calling shots and doing things the way we think they should be done. We don't get to look at leadership styles and, and, and modes and methods of leading the church in, in, a, in a way that we, we, we introduce things of the world and we say, well, that works well in that business environment over there. Number one, we're a family. We're not a business. But, but God clearly lays out instructions. And there was a, I want to just say this. I, my heart is not to be a watchdog that calls out everyone else on what they're doing wrong. But our heart needs to be to say we go back to the Scripture to recognize what God calls us to and as humbly as possible do what He calls us to as best we can. I, I'm not going to start pulling everyone else down. And I honestly think, church, there's too much of that that goes on. I don't need the world's challenge to me. I get enough in the church. No, I, I'm serious. I think there's too many self-proclaimed watchdogs. And, and church, we need to be aware of this and just say, humbly, we do the best we can in what God's called us to. Stop trying to tell everyone else what they're doing wrong. It's not in my notes, and I, let me stop there. But if we go back to a biblical context, and I, I grew up in an environment where I honestly, the more I was reading my Bible, the more I was getting confused as to what I was seeing around me, because I had to come to the conclusion that it was obviously not relevant to today anymore. It must have been an historical thing. Forms of leadership and all those kind of things. And so I'm so delighted that we get to be a part of something where we get to allow the Word of God to shape and form how and where and what we do as local church. Church, we're going through line upon line this morning of what God's called us to. He is building His church. The gates of hell will not prevail. But I'm not building his church. You're not building his church. He is building his church. And he chooses to partner with us in what he wants to do in and through us because he chose that you and I would be a display of his splendor. So I want to just focus on, on a few things this morning. And one of the many ways in which he designs church is around leadership and authority in the local church. And unfortunately, we live in a world today in a historical context of church where these things have been so abused, so misaligned, so untrusted that it becomes a four-letter word. Leadership. It's a whole lot more letters than that. It's a whole lot more than that. Authority in the church. Ooh, be careful. But if we truly want to honor God's patterns and His ways, I want to look at this. And Firstly, His design for church leadership is quite simple. We are all saints. We are not sinners saved by grace. I am a new creation. I am no longer defined as a sinner, as an identity. Sin, the verb, is still a problem for all of us until the day we die. But my identity has changed. I'm rooted and I'm established as a saint. 
which gives me the hope for change. We are all sheep of his pasture, the Bible talks about. And we all have different giftings. We were talking about that earlier. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Go and read through those. We all have the responsibility of doing the best we can in releasing those giftings in the church and in the world. And some in the midst of this are called to function as leaders in the life of the church. Function. Not identity. Function. My identity is a saint. My function is whatever God's called me to function in for that season of time. And so in the midst of that, we get the, the, the biblical version of, of leadership in the life of the church. is not CEOs, not chief financial officers, elders and deacons. That's the biblical context of leadership in the life of the church. There are elders and there are deacons. Philippians 1.1 is just one little example where Paul writes a letter and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Overseer is another word for, for elder. And without looking at what everyone else is doing and telling them what they're doing wrong, let's look at what God says we're called to do and let's build according to his patterns and ways. Because when we do, he can bless what we're doing. He can honor what we're doing. Because we're choosing to honor him. Not saying it's not relevant today anymore, but believing that it is as much as ever. My heart's desire is that when you read your Bible, you understand more of how we function as a church. So we have a team of elders and deacons within the life of this church. We truly are looking to honor God in the way that he wants to lead us. And I want to look at two aspects of this, these roles this morning and specifically focusing on elders. And uh, the first is, what can you expect of the elders at Trinity? Not because it's my good ideas, but because the biblical requirements of elders. What can you expect of the elders? And the second part is, how do we all best do what we can to honor God's ordained authority and leadership in the life of church? Great questions. I'm glad you asked them, so let's jump into them. Number one, how, uh, sorry, what can we expect of the elders at Trinity? And most importantly, it's modeling Jesus. So you're going to see, we're going through Scripture here. Not my ideas, this is scriptural unpacking of what God has put in place. Philippians 2, verse 3 to 8, this is what's required of elders. So remember, the, the Bible says that he who desires to be an elder, an overseer, actually desires a noble task. It's not something you put your hand up for lightly. Philippians 2, don't be selfish. Don't be trying to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I read those things and I quake in my boots. I thank God that he gives us what we need for life and godliness. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Who wants to be an elder? Anyone? 
Matthew 20, verse 25. Jesus called them, those were his disciples together, because they were arguing about who was going to be sitting on the right or the left of Jesus. Who's going to have the place of prominence? Jesus called them together and he said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. So when we start looking to the world for leadership, direction, and instruction, this is what we start to see. Those in the world lord it over people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. (laughs) Hear the tone of Jesus. It will be different. (laughs) Whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your servant. Elders, anyone? And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. That's what we can expect of elders. I want to go through some specifics of what can be expected of appointed elders in the life of church. Acts 20 verse 28. This is a challenge to elders. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. Whoa. Personal responsibility. Watch over yourselves. The first responsibility and task of an elder is to take responsibility for their own life. Be accountable, be humble, be teachable. Last week we had uh, Bruce and Teresa Benj with us, just a beautiful couple. And what they didn't do is fly in on Saturday evening, give a word on Sunday morning and fly out on Sunday afternoon. They were with us for almost a week. And they stayed in our home. And they saw us in the mornings with bedhead. And they saw our kids And they saw how we lived our lives because we choose to have them in our home because we want to live an open life for the sake of God's doings and plan and destiny for this church. I don't want to be the cap. I don't want to be the ceiling of what God wants to do in and through us. And it's very humbling, but we start off with this conversation. Bruce, Teresa, please speak into our lives, whatever that means. And Bruce is a good man. And a few times over the course of the weekend, he puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, My friend, I hope our bridge is strong enough for this. And I go, okay, I'm sitting down. But but I want to tell you that because I've had to learn the importance of that, not only for me, but for the sake of the church. And I want to challenge every one of us, learn that for the sake of you, for the sake of your family, and for the sake of those you lead in your life. And if there are people looking to you that you influence, you are their leader. I've heard this statement said, no one should lead unless they're being led by someone else. Part of my few days in Toronto this week was going into those that we partner with and sitting down and having coffees and lunches and connecting and saying, okay, let's talk together. What is God doing? This is something of what we're feeling for the life of Trinity. What do you think? What do you see? It's accountability, friends. If you're a leader here, anywhere in life, in business, and whatever it might be, I want to challenge you to ask these questions. Who's leading me? Who's speaking into my life? Who am I submitted to in, in leadership? And we should be able to give answers for these things. 
The next responsibility is watching over all the church. It's prayer, it's intercession, it's counsel. Watch over the flock, the word says. The next one is this. Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's a Holy Spirit appointment. How, how, do, we, how do we select elders? How does that happen? Well, it's a, it's a process of recognizing God does nothing, the word says, without first announcing it through his servants, the prophets. There's prophetic words that are given and spoken that, that bring people to the forefront of what God wants to do in and through them. There is a recognition within the church body. And the one thing I will say this is that elders are not always the most gifted. And when you look at the qualifications of elders in Scripture, 99.9% is character. It's not gifting. It's character. It's the resilience and the strength of character to be able to take what needs to be done and lead God's people, lead the church. Gifting comes. Gifting grows. Somewhere stashed in my bookshelf is a cassette tape of the first preach that I ever gave that was recorded, and it's horrible. <laughs> Nothing's changed, JT says. Thank you, brother. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Hey? I'm just teasing. You brought that out. I'm just te- I, He's my friend. I love him. We're just kidding. Holy Spirit appointed. And I need to know that as much as anyone. Because when I'm called to this, and there's moments where I'm going, oh, God, how on earth do I do this? I thank you that he's appointed me. It's not someone's clever idea. And with that appointment comes an anointing. Overseers. Overseers is, 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 comes from the Greek word biskopos, which is where we get the word bishop. Understanding that the elder is the oversight of the local church. And we have this word pastor that we throw in so often. Pastor is one of the gifts that we read in Ephesians 4. A pastoral gifting is the ability to care for people in its simplest form. And when we put that title on the leaders of local church, we're highlighting one aspect of what's required of their leadership. God says elders, part of their task and responsibility is pastoral. Do you see the, the heart of this? Shepherds. Oh, let me back up. Overseers, this word here. Over is leadership. Seers, you know what seers is? It's prophetic. It's the ability to be able to lead with prophetic insight and understanding. That's the leadership God's calling for the church. This word shepherds, I want to just reflect on a story for a moment here. Um, many years ago, I was in Africa on a trip, on a missions trip, and I climbed up to the top of this hill, and I had the opportunity to look down over this valley and just enjoying this quiet morning. The sun was just rising, and I heard this huge noise coming around the corner. And I, it, it sounded like it was, it was like a wild, chaotic party going on. It was crazy. And, and it just resounded through the valley so loud. And as they came around the corner, what I saw was happening was it was a, a flock of sheep and um, there, there were five or six, I, I mean, we, we would call them shepherds, but man, these guys were just, they had whips and they were, I mean, they were just, they were literally whacking the sheep into submission. There were dogs barking and the sheep were all huddled together in the middle trying to get away and be the one that was not on the outside, okay? A little while later, 
I was sitting in the same place, and all of a sudden, I just saw a man coming around the corner. And then faintly, I started to hear some noise. And way behind him was another flock of sheep, easily twice the size of the first flock. And he was one man on his own. There were no dogs. And he was just walking along, and he was looking forward like this. He wasn't looking at the sheep at all. And they were quiet. They were just following behind him, and they were grazing and finding all the green grass and doing what they were needing to do. And it was such a deep impression on me that God gave me. Because it was a few months later that we were invited onto an eldership team. And God gave me that picture. Because you see, the role of elder in that shepherd role is not to be with a whip, not with the dogs. Because it took five of them to manage a little flock of sheep. It took one to manage one twice the size. And the one wasn't even looking at them. He was looking ahead. But the others were all focused inwards at the sheep. Do you see the story? Do you see the heart of it? That's the shepherd that God calls and wants to release into the life of church. And when that shepherd is so busy focusing on trying to keep everything in order rather than looking ahead at what God is preparing for what lies ahead, it doesn't give the opportunity for the sheep to walk into the next green grass. It doesn't give the sheep the opportunity to graze in the green grass because they're so fearful for all the whacking that's coming their way. Do you see the difference? I want to read this. One thing I want to point at as well. All the noise and the clatter, they were shouting at those sheep, trying to get them in order. The other shepherd out front, every now and again, he'd have this little call that he'd make, and it was, it was indecipherable. You couldn't tell what he was saying, but it was just the sound of his voice. And you could see the sheep would kind of prick up, and then they would just make the adjustments they needed to because they knew the voice. Amazing, hey? Biblical qualifications of an elder. Remember what I was saying about character versus gifting? I want you to find one gifting-related item in this versus character. Titus 1, verse 5. Paul writes this letter to Titus, and he says this, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. God's biblical pattern of leadership is elders being appointed. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Anyone want to be an elder? Every one of those, every one of those are character related. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Oh, my. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Any giftings in there? Church, that's what's expected of an elder. And that's, that's what you should be able to expect. Understanding the fact that I am a man just like you. 
in my own fallibility, I've dared to say yes to Jesus. And there are elders across our city and the nations of the world that have dared to say yes to Jesus, trusting that he is able to work in them and through them. Secondly, how do we all best honor God's ordained authority and leaders, in this case, elders? How do we respond? That's what can be expected of elders. How do we respond to elders? And, and this, for me, is probably the most, one of the most important. Hebrews 13, verse 7 to 8 says this, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Three things around that. Number one, remember. Pray for them. Pray for your leaders. Remember them. Trust me, I, it's one of the things that I covet the most is the prayers of people around me. Secondly, remember that God appointed them. Honor them for their role in your life and in the church. Remember your leaders. Remember who they are in what God has done and established. Honor them for their role. Honor them for the calling of God in their lives. The second one is consider. It says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Consider is a carefully chosen word. It doesn't say blindly follow. It says, consider, evaluate. In other words, your responsibility is not to follow everything I do because some point in time, I'm going to offend you. I'm going to upset you. I'm not going to get it perfect. I'm not going to get it right. And so your job is to consider. Don't, we don't throw our brains out. We evaluate the outcome of their way of life. It's not every little thing. What is the fruit of their life? Consider the outcome of their way of life. And the third one is this, imitate. There is one thing that we're called to imitate in leaders. It's not the way they dress as much as I know you'd like to. I'm just kidding. It's not anything other than their faith. Which says this to me as a leader, I better have a faith worth imitating. What am I living in faith for? How the Bible calls us to respond and honor elders, to respond to and honor elders and deacons. Who knows that the Word of God is living and active in its entirety? And there's some verses we just like to slide over more than others, and there's some that we love to quote, because some just challenge us a little too much for comfort sometimes. And there's some that that taken in the context of our world's perspective on things, can get so messed up. Let's read this one, Hebrews 13, verse 17. In the NIV, it says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to who? You. I'm going to read from a few different translations this verse. The New Living Translation says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. The message says, Be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives. Isn't that amazing? And they work under the strict supervision of God. Man, this is a whole lot of trust that needs to happen here, eh? Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not its drudgery. Why would you want to make things harder for them? 
The Amplified says, Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, recognizing their authority over you, for they are keeping a watch over your souls and continually guarding your spiritual welfare as those who will give an account for their stewardship of you. Let them do this with joy and not with grief and with groans, for this would be of no benefit to you. There's two words that come up in there. There's obey and there's submit. In our world today, those are words that are just not good. And if we're going to be politically correct, we'll just scratch those out of our Bibles. And you know the reason for this is because there's been so much abuse and hurt that's happened in the world and in the church. And it puts a huge responsibility on leaders, but it also puts a huge responsibility on us and our response to leaders, doesn't it? I want to say this might not be politically correct. It might be hard to swallow. It might be something that says, well, I don't know if I really, but it's biblical. So if we're going to throw that out, what else are we going to throw out? I've got to tell you, when you're on the other side of that coin, that's a very sobering thing, is, to, is that what God says is my responsibility as a leader. Just take a moment. These words obey. Some of the, the original Greek word for obey is pytho, and, and what it says is it's to, um, to rely on, to believe in, to have confidence in. So our English word obey has so much more of a deeper meaning behind it. It's to have the confidence and to rest assured and to be able to trust. It's not something that was meant for your harm. This word submit, it means to surrender in trust. And when I, as I've had to learn the importance of this over the years, when Bruce and Teresa walk into our house, and I don't even know them that well, and I say to them, our home is open to you. Please speak into our lives. I know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm submitting myself to them, knowing that if in their fallibility they say something that's out of line, I have the confidence and the maturity to go before God and say, yeah, I'm not going to receive that. Or I go to those around me and say, hey, this is what's been said. What do you see? Is this a blind spot? What's going on? How much better will my life go if I submit myself that way? Isn't that amazing? I want to do is this, and on behalf of leaders in your lives over the years, I want to just stand with these friends this morning and just say this. We're sorry if we haven't done well in your lives. No ifs and buts. And we want to stand on behalf of those who haven't done well in your lives in the past. And I can guarantee you all three of us couples standing up here this morning have had our own experiences of leaders that haven't done us well. When I was a young man, I hated the church. I wanted nothing to do with it because of my experience with leaders and the, the hypocritical nature of those that counted around me doing what they did. And if you'd said to me at the time that I'd be leading local church one day, I would call you a liar to your face. But because of God's healing and restoration, here I stand today because I've had to be obedient to his call of God in my life. And his call of God in my life is this. What's his call in your life? And can I challenge you, church, this morning to make a decision to live free of past hurt? Unforgiveness, I've heard it explained this way, is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Unforgiveness hurts you more than anyone else. 
And I want to give an opportunity this morning, and this is what I want to ask us to do. If you need to receive healing from God this morning, if you want to walk in a new way of relating to God's ordained leadership in your life, if you want to be able to walk free of those past hurts and experiences, no one's judging anyone. I, honestly, I think we've all experienced something of this in the past. And it's not about these people standing up here necessarily. It might be at the same time. No one's going to ask you. But if you've experienced that this morning, I want to encourage you to get up right now and just stand where you are and just come forward and just stand here and choose this morning to walk into God's best for your life. Because if you don't, it's going to be unbeneficial and unprofitable for you. We've just read it. It's what the Bible says. Why not walk free this morning? Why not walk into God's best for you? Because our commitment is to do the best we can in honoring and stewarding this local church. And I know I speak on behalf of these people. In spite of our shortcomings and our failings. So if that's you this morning and you just need to walk free of past hurts and experiences, it could be a father figure in your life. It could be any form of leadership you've ever experienced in the church, in the workplace, or whatever. But if you've had a bad experience with leadership in your life, please come and receive what God has for you this morning. Walk free. Church, walk free. Don't leave here carrying that stuff still. So come now, if that's you, and I'm going to ask this crew to just come and lay hands and pray over you. Amen? Come on up if that's you right now.